Hi there. Thank you for joining us on the Redeemer Church podcast. Here at Redeemer, we exist to see Christ exalted in our church, community, and world. It is our mission to lead people into the presence of God, devotion to His Word, authentic fellowship with others, and discovering their ministry. We hope that this podcast is just one of the ways you connect to God's presence this week. Let's check out this week's message. Good morning, Redeemer. It's a joy to be worshiping with you this morning. We have this newer feature that we want to bring to your attention. If you scan the QR code on the screen, uh, it will take you to a place where you can find sermon notes for this morning. So if you want to take a a sneak peek at where I'm headed, you can grab that or you can type into your phone uh, different notes that, that the Holy Spirit might put on your heart. So do take advantage of that. Today we are continuing in our journey through the book of Ephesians, which if you're keeping track, lands us in Ephesians 5. Um, We're going to be digging into Ephesians chapter 5, verses 21 through 33. And yes, that is the infamous submission in marriage passage. Uh, So please turn there with me in your Bible or your Bible app. Somehow situated near the end of a conversation on unity is one of the most divisive passages in the church. So before we get into this conversation, I want to offer this warning. Most of us look at Paul as a pretty deep thinker. The Apostle Peter certainly did. And in this passage that we're going to read for this morning, Paul himself called what he was talking about a profound mystery. As the only time in all of his letters that he draws attention to this teaching is difficult. But you could also translate the word mystery as sacred secret. And in this way, I think that we could go on talking about this text and how to live it out for the rest of our lives in conversation with our spouse and in conversation with one another. So that's all to say, let's bring into this text as much humility as, that we, as we can. And, and I'll read the text for us. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 21 through 33. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, to make her holy, cleansing her by washing with, with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Now, in the past, you have heard me talk about the chapter and verse being additions to the text. That's also the case 
with subject headings that our Bible neatly marks out for us so that we understand where certain topics start and stop. So the chapter divides and the verse divides and the subject headings, these are all later editions. Uh, All of that has been added, and the heading in our passage today jumps around a lot, depending on what Bible you have. They're either trying to include verse 21 with the husbands and wives passage, or they're trying to exclude it and put it in the passage above. And the subheading always runs something along instruction for Christian households, wives, and husbands, or marriage like Christ and the church, or whatever that heading is that precedes uh, this text. The reason why I have included verse 21 in this portion uh, is that verses 21 through 24 are all part of the same run-on sentence in Greek. So Paul is infamous for these long, long, long sentences that he writes. And in this particular matter, uh, it is one sentence from verse 21 through 24. If you translated this text from the Greek language, it would literally read like this. Be subject to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives to your husbands as to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. Now that said, I think that the New Living Translation of all the translations gets what the original language is driving at best. And it says this. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For husbands, this means love your wife just as Christ loved the church. So here's a little roadmap for where we're going to be headed this morning. This morning, we're going to talk to the husbands, and we're going to talk to the wives, and we're going to talk to the church. And so that's going to lead our conversation just so if you're trying to anticipate where we're going, that's where we're headed. So husbands, let's start with us. Paul starts the conversation about marriage like this. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Husband, love your wives just like Christ loved the church. I'm going to pause there for a second. Let's think about all the ways that Christ loved the church. Enter into this space with me. First, we are told in John 1.14 that the word, in other words, Jesus, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Can you imagine forfeiting your heavenly throne? And taking on an earthly body that you did not have previously. Taking on the limitations of that body. Being subjected to sickness, disappointment, and temptation. Then we know in John 13, verses 1 through 17, that Jesus washed his disciples' feet. I want to get into a little bit more detail about what it meant to wash people's feet back in Jesus' time. If you were to think about wearing some open-toed sandals... And walking from here to Glenpool uh, in dust. And they would take this type of journey frequently. And often without washing their feet at the end of the day. Because that would just mark one part of their journey. So when they came into someone's house to eat, they would have to ceremoniously clean. Now, the role of washing the feet fell to the lowliest of the low servants. They fought to not do this job. It was stinky, it was smelly, it was dirty, it was nasty. So the disciples have been on a long journey and Jesus sits down and he makes himself the lowliest of servants and he washes all of his disciples' feet. That's not even to mention the brutal suffering that he bore being beaten upon the way to the cross, the crucifixion itself, 
And these are just the physical aspects of Christ's love for us. He also spent time healing the sick. He spoke to the Samaritan woman, which broke all of the cultural norms of his day. He mourned over Lazarus's death. He healed lepers. And he didn't just heal them from afar. He walked up to them, put his hand on their shoulders, and healed them. Healing both their physical need and their emotional need. Husbands, I don't know about you, but I find this challenge to love my wife like Christ loved the church to be a bit overwhelming, to even be a bit daunting. What adds further fear and trembling to me is that not only am I called to love my wife like Christ loved the church, this wife that I have, whom I love so much, is the daughter of the Most High King. Let that sit in for a second. Daughter of the Most High King. Now, when I was thinking about this, it made me reflect back to the first time that I got to take my wife, my future wife, on a date. My parent-in-laws are in. They were actually in the service this morning, and they got a chuckle out of this because it was very much true. I drove to my wife's house. I sat down at the kitchen table, and I started looking around. And as I looked around, I noticed around every door was either an axe or a chainsaw. I kid you not. An axe or a chainsaw. I was later told, and told, that my father-in-law split wood, corded wood, and sold it in order to help pay for his college, the girls' college education. I, I have come to find after 10 years of marriage that was true, but it didn't feel that true in the moment. I'm looking around going, this dad has axes in front of every door as I'm leaving. It sent a message to me. I better take care of his little girl or something not so great is going to happen. Now, when I think about the creator of the universe, the one who exhales stars, the one who speaks and universes take shape, axes and chainsaws might be intimidating, but they don't touch the one who breathes and speaks and brings out life. That's intimidation down to the core. My father-in-law loves my wife, but not as deeply as her heavenly daddy does. My wife is a daughter of the Most High King. He carefully formed my wife in her mother's womb, sent his only son to die on her behalf, so I better do my best to love her the way that Christ loved the church. Now, I'm going to turn and talk to the wives in the room for a minute. Let's talk about this word, submit. Now, I performed a deep word study on this word. I tried to make this word mean anything else. So it would have just been easier to talk about if I could redefine this word and put a different English word to it. The fact of the matter is that the best way to talk about this word in English is either submit or subject oneself to. There there really isn't any other options. That's what it comes down to. But let's take a look at what Peter has to say in 1 Peter 2. It's a longer quote, but I think towards the end, wives, you'll start to see where I'm driving at at this. Peter said, to this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. 
Now look at what Peter does here. Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands, so that, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. So I, I want to highlight something I find pretty significant in this passage. When Peter goes to address wives, he tells them, wives, in the same way, submit. And it's right after a passage of him just talking about all the ways that Christ humbled himself for the sake of the church. This is what Christ did. Wives, do this for your husbands. In the same way as a direct connection to the ministry of Jesus. In other words, Peter is saying, follow Jesus' example of submission. Be like Jesus to your husbands. Love your husbands the way that Jesus loved the church. Wait a second. Didn't I hear pretty much the same thing a couple moments ago? Did Peter basically offer a very, very similar instruction to wives as Paul offered to husbands? When we boil this down to the very core of what either of these two people are instructing our wives and our husbands, did Peter on the one hand say, wives, engage your husband the way that Christ engaged the church? And did Paul on the other hand look at husbands and go, husbands, engage your wife the way that Christ engaged the church? I think that that certainly seems to be the case to me. But here's my point. We bring a lot of preconceived baggage into the word submit, which makes us pretty reactive. We tend to think of submission in terms of control because that's how it's used in our jobs. The problem with that thinking is that our marriages do not run like a company. Your boss is not united to you as one flesh like your spouse is. The difference between this relationship, your work relationship and your spousal relationship, changes what submission means in the marital context. A better example, as Paul's setting up here for us, of marital submission is our submission to Christ's headship. When we submit to Christ, we are paradoxically set free. Our submission to Christ enables us to obtain a freedom that we could never experience otherwise. So husbands, if we weaponize the word submission to our wives in order to suppress her, then we cannot be loving her the way that Christ loved the church. Our love for her should be a freeing love, an empowering love, a self-sacrificial love. In the context of marriage, submission is not about dominance. It's about love and respect. I'm going to say that again. In the context of marriage, submission is not about dominance. It's about love and respect. So to wrap up his teaching on marriage, Paul said something rather interesting in verse 32. At least I find it rather interesting. There he said, this is a profound mystery. But I am talking about Christ and the church. How does a teaching on marriage connect to Christ and the church? I think that the answer to that question has three parts. Headship, submission, and freedom. Headship, submission, freedom. Headship is a theme Paul brought out all the way back in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 22. There he said this. 
And God placed all things under Jesus' feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Now, the metaphor of Christ as the head of the body, which is the church, is important. So when I think about that in terms of my, who I am and my body and how my body functions, when I think about my hands or my legs or any other body part, they're not ever at war with my head. They're not trying to run off and do their own thing. In fact, they are empowered to do this very thing that God created them to do for the very fact that I have a head. So there's not some sort of war going on between my body parts on who's going to do what and how that's going to work. The fact that I have a head means that the rest of my body can function. And that's how it is when we submit to Christ and the church, or to Christ as the church. When we submit to Christ, we walk into a freedom that would otherwise have been unobtainable for us in any other context. We're freed to walk into being the exact people that God has created us to be. A fullest expression of freedom, if you will. There is no greater. You can find no greater love. You can find no greater purpose. You can find no better belonging than walking into the purpose that God has created us for. So I experience freedom in its truest extent when I submit myself to Christ's headship. In reality... Christ's headship is not a limitation on my life. It's the very reason I experience freedom. God created marriage as a symbol to explain this reality. When a husband and a wife submit to one another, in other words, when the wife submits to the husband and the husband loves the wife like Christ loved the church, then the wife is empowered in such a way into the fullness of who God has created her to be that she becomes noticeably different to those around her. One might even say that she is living into the fullness, absolute depths of freedom. Her husband is empowering her to walk into the fullness of who God created her to be just as Christ enables us to walk into the fullness of who God has created us to be. In this way, God created the unity of love and marriage to describe the depths of his love for us, as well as the type of freedom he wants us to experience. And that's precisely why I think that the enemy spends so much time attacking marriages. It's no accident that we misinterpret submission language to mean dominance. It's no accident that it's easier to be disrespectful to our spouse rather than respectful. It's no accident that it's easier to fight with our spouse than it is to apologize. It's no accident that there are days when we just want to throw in the towel that there's a little whisper in the back of our head that says that would be the very best thing to do. These are not accidents. The enemy is waging war against us. If the enemy can destroy marriage, then he can destroy a symbol that God has hardwired into his creation to communicate his love for us and the freedom that we can experience in Christ. That's why it's so important that we don't privatize our marriages. 
There's two real reasons behind that. The first is when we privatize our marriages or we say that behind this closed door is my, my business, what we do is create a barrier of darkness. And the enemy thrives in darkness. And what Christ would love us to do is to open the door wide to our marriages and let light shine in so that there are other couples that can speak into our lives from time to time to say, you know, I just don't think that's operating right. And they can help us keep more on the straight and narrow of what a good marriage ought to look like. But the second thing is, if God has set this up as a symbol for explaining his love and we close it behind a closed door, then we're not using that symbol to communicate the amazing grace and love and freedom that a person can find in Jesus. We're locking the whole symbol away for no one to see. And I think God wants us to put that marriage on display for the world so that they can see, look, this is what it looks, this is what Christ's love looks like. Look at the way this husband loves and empowers his spouse, that his wife can be the very person that he has created her to be. That's what it's like when Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. So when you yoke yourself to Christ, this is the fullest expression of what you two can live in. If we shut that behind a closed door, who gets to see that symbol? It's only through mutual submission to Christ that we can engage this this type of a way. Friends, this is why marriage starts with mutual submission. As husbands and wives, we must mutually submit ourselves to Christ so that he can transform our hearts and our minds. If the enemy then is going to attack our marriages, and he will attack our marriages, how do we protect them? I think the first answer to that question is that mutual submission part that I've brought up several times. It's only through Christ that we can be empowered to live a life worthy of the calling that we have received. He empowers us to be the people that God has created us to be. Then we must come before him together, united in prayer. When we come to pray together, we're inviting that glue or that third strand, the Holy Spirit, deep into the interworkings of who we are. Which instead of the enemy getting to operate in disunity, we're coming together in unity in prayer that the Holy Spirit, that God might help us drive through our decision making. It brings us back together under Christ's headship. And can calm many, many storms in our lives. Next, we must be humble with one another. It's important that we learn how to apologize. We are not always right. Our spouse is not always wrong. If we take on the era of the aura of humility, and we can recognize that we're sinful, fallen human beings, and so is our spouse, then we can create a lot of room for grace. If I don't do that, then I'm not leaving a lot of room for grace. The enemy flourishes in pride and disunity. And finally, we must be intentional. We must create margin in our daily lives to make our spouse feel cared for, however that looks for them. Now, I say that with that that particular language. I don't know if you've ever heard of Gary Chapman's The Five Love Languages, but if you've never have, I'm going to offer this as a resource. He talks about five different ways a person can experience God's love. 
Now, it's easy for us to offer love in ways that we would like to receive it. What Gary Chapman argues is we need to offer love to our spouse in a way that they will receive it. And that takes intentionality. It takes slowing down. It takes knowing our spouse so that we're communicating something that our spouse can receive. Marriage is a powerful and beautiful unity, which symbolizes our ultimate unity with Christ for all eternity. May our marriages reflect that eternal reality for all to see. So this concludes my sermon on Ephesians 5, 21 to 33. I'm not sure if I've made this text any less mysterious. I'm not sure if I helped kind of find a sacred secret in there for you or not. So if you do have any questions, feel free to email adam.barnett at redeemertulsa.org and he would be happy (laughs) to answer any questions you might have. Um, and after this, I'm going to go home and chat with my father-in-law because I haven't gotten to talk with him and see how he thought I did this morning. So let's, let's worship God together. Once again, thank you for listening to the Redeemer Church podcast. To stay connected to all that God is doing here at Redeemer, visit our website at RedeemerTulsa.org or connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Have a blessed week.